What's up, friends? And before we hop into the show, I gotta tell you about a local company here because you guys know how much we love supporting local companies. And that's why we're super excited to tell you about Denver Rubber Company and it may not be what you think it is. Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. Since 1972, Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, to custom contract manufacturing, and custom hoses. And guess what? Snow is coming, and we've certainly already had a taste of it. You'll need Denver Rubber Company when it comes to anything snowplows. DRC can cut to size and pre-slot most snowplow rubber. The blades can be cut to any length and slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications. We went and checked out their warehouse a few weeks back, and let me tell you, it was nothing short of amazing. These guys have created proprietary materials that make up the inside of wind turbine blades, and we even witness machines that can cut material that are used in bulletproof vests. Remember, Denver Rubber Company custom makes it all, and you can purchase products for yourself and, of course, buy bulk at a fantastic rate. They're a family-owned business with loyalty only to the people just like us here at DNVR. So be sure to call them today for any snowplow needs, custom gaskets, hoses, etc. at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash DNVR and make sure you tell them who sent you. Let's jump into the show. Welcome into the DNVR Broncos podcast on this terrific Tuesday. I'm your host, Zach Stevens, joined by my main man, Andrew Mason. And before we hop into the show, I got to tell you about our delicious presenting sponsor, Strava Craft Coffee. As I said, delicious coffee, you get the caffeine boost and you get all of the benefits that come with CBD. And that helps with pains, aches, anxiety, headaches, migraines, really anything going wrong with your body. CBD is the magical cure. So make sure you check out Strava Craft Coffee to, for that caffeine, that, that CBD. And if you do, make sure to use that magical code DNVR20 to receive 20% off. All right, Mace, how you doing today? Doing pretty well. Um, like you said, beautiful Tuesday. Warming up, the snow is melting, the roads are still a little bit of a war zone, but uh, hey, you know, we'll, we'll get over that. Been mulling over the Broncos' lack of success in the second half of their last eight games. Oh, boy, so you're not doing very well then. Well, I mean, when I think about this, I'm <laughs> feeling terrible, but uh, when I think about just life in general, I'm feeling good. Zach, if you just take the Broncos in the second half over the last nine weeks, eight games, one bye week. Don't do this to us, Mace. Oh, I'm going it's to. It's a terrific Tuesday. It's a terrific Tuesday. It's going to be a terrible Tuesday. <laughs> And not only are the Broncos the worst second-half offense in football, 
it just it's mind numbing how across the board bad they are. In the second half, the last nine weeks, the Broncos are last in points, offensive touchdowns, passing touchdowns, total yardage, passing yardage, <laughs> yards per pass play, first downs, first down rate, and rate of plays to gain twenty plus yards. And the thing is, Zach, they're not only last. Most of these categories, they're last by a good distance. Holy cow. Wow. 39 points in the second half in the last eight games. 39. So think about that, Zach. That translates to 78 over the course of a year. And then you multiply that by two for their average per 60 minutes. So in the last eight games, Zach, in the second half, the Broncos are averaging 9.8 points per 60 minutes. So I would put them on a pay, on a, a robust 10 points per game pace. That's not good. Yeah, that's okay. That's awful. that's incompetent. That's is incompetent. What it is. And Mace, that's why I was so frustrated yesterday when yesterday I asked Vic Fangio, you guys had 36 offensive yards in the second half. Mace. Some teams may think 36 yards is bad for a drive. The Broncos had 36 yards in two quarters of football to end a game when they had clearly showed they could move the ball before. So that's why I was frustrated when I asked Vic Fangio, what do you attribute that to? And he said, well, we had a third and one that we didn't convert, and we had a third and two that we didn't convert. What? That's, it, it that's comes the down what, to those, not the why. Right. That yeah. That, to me... No way. That is not the reason. The reason is terrible play calling, terrible execution, and you didn't let the quarterback do things. Mace, on those plays, they were both running plays, unsuccessful. I just I just don't like that that's the reason. You point to a three yards. No, you're you're like 150 yards off what you should be doing in a half, not three. What bothers you more? Is it the inability to game one yard or the play call for the one yard because the Minnesota game remember they couldn't get one yard but they tried that end around to Noah Fant <laughs> that was a moment where I thought okay you're up by 10 fourth quarter draining the clock means something just slam somebody up the gut even have Brandon Allen reach over the line yep. try to get a first down yep I it's it's like every instinct that they have or that maybe that Rich Gangrello has in terms of play calling once you get past the script to start the game, every instinct appears to be wrong. You know, Mace, that that's a perfect way to look at it because one of the third downs was a that little toss to Philip Lindsay where everything's going to the right and they tossed it out to Philip Lindsay to go to the left. And that's not a bad play call. That's not a bad play in itself but that's something you do when you're rolling right everyone's buying what you're doing so when you run to the right and everything's moving to the right because you have been moving and rolling the entire defense goes with it uh your left tackle your right tackle everyone's been working well well when you put i guess i guess they were going to the right with the pitch when you go to your right and Elijah Wilkinson hasn't been rolling all game and he misses a block and then Philip Lindsay loses a couple yards on that third down, that's not the right call. Now, am I saying take that play out of your of your system? No, because it's a good call in the right situation. But Mace, that, that word instinct is the best way to put it because, again, it's not a bad call. Don't get rid of the play, but you just don't do it at the right time. And it just reminds me, 
you know what? They had third and seven against Minnesota in the fourth quarter, and you hand the ball off to Devontae Booker on a draw. Sure, he picks up a couple yards, but you needed seven, and he got you, I think, three. And it's what they do. In that situation, go with Royce Freeman when it's third and one. Run him up the gut behind a fullback because you haven't been you haven't been rolling. So if you're going to run the ball, do that. Me. Man, I'm giving I'm giving the ball to Drew Locke because don't forget what he can do. He can run the ball. And they did, I believe, one RPO in the game that I remember. I loved seeing that, mm-hmm. but I think it was just one time. And it's just that that's the perfect word, Mace, is instinct. The instincts have just been off in terms of play calling and when to call certain plays. What's fascinating, Zach, is now... Let's take a look at how the Broncos do in the first quarter in particular. Not not simply the first half, the first quarter in the last eight games, okay? First quarter, total yards. They're fourth in the league in yards per per first quarter. Fourth in the league in passing yards in the first quarter. Rushing a bit down there, eighth, but still solid. Not bad. Yards per play in the first quarter, eighth, good. Yep. Yards per pass play in the first quarter, seventh, good. Rate of plays that gain 20 or more yards, that's down there. It's just not a very explosive offense at times. That's still 22nd. But offensive touchdowns in the first quarter in the last eight games, Zach, the Broncos are tied for fifth. <laughs> it's a good offense right. early. And I think... If you're looking at Rich Gangarello and what he does well and what he doesn't do well, the success in the first quarter shows he's excellent when he's on the script. That famed 15-play script that Bill Walsh and his acolytes and the branches of the tree have followed for the last four decades now. When he's on script, the offense is dynamic. It's working. When he goes off script, just basically packing it in, parking the bus, the turtle going into its shell. Well, Mason, it's a nightmare. Since you can't script an entire game, does John Elway actually have a point? Did, does everyone owe John Elway an apology? Because everyone's saying, oh, this offense is so dated, it's so bad, you can't do this offense. They need a new, innovative offense. Well, it the first quarter would show that maybe John's right about the offense. The offense can work in the NFL, but it's just he hired the wrong guy to execute it. Well, it's also about our personnel as well. I mean, Minnesota didn't win last night, but at times that offense was rolling, just like it was against the Broncos when they went up to Minnesota on November the 17th. Yep. That said, the offense has to reflect the strengths of its personnel and what they are right now, not what you hope they become. I don't think this offense, in terms of the emphasis on under center work compared to shotgun work and a relative lack of RPOs, I don't think it reflects where Drew Locke's strengths are right now. And you could even say back in the first eight games with the play fake boots, it didn't reflect where Joe Flacco's strengths were because his strengths do not include 
mobility and getting outside of the pocket. So again, square pegs in the round holes. Yeah. And that's a big concern. Yep. It it certainly certainly is a big concern. And May, speaking of big concerns, let's look at the opposite side of the ball, where the Broncos just lost arguably one of their best defenders for the season, Derek Wolf. Of course, that terrible injury. Did you see that photo that he tweeted out, Mace? I was Ugh. not surprised that he would find the photo <laughs> that was the most stomach turning and put it out there because Derek Wolf. One thing we've learned about him over his eight years as a Bronco is that he has no filter (laughs) and he will share the details, even if they're a bit gory. And he literally tweeted it with the throwing up emoji. (laughs) Yes. Well, he's throwing up about the injury. He's also throwing up about the circumstances of it coming on a play that basically uh, should have been stopped. And I think that's what bothers him. He indicated that in the locker room Sunday night, that what, really irked him about the injury was that the whistle should have been blown play should have been dead and it never should have happened. It never should have come to that because of course the chargers had a false start penalty on it. So that, that really rankles him. You're going to get hurt, but getting hurt in a moment that should not have taken place. You can't blame him for being frustrated. On top of that, of course, is the fact that he's having the best season of his career. Seven sacks, career high. All of those seven sacks in the last six games. Certainly, it seemed like a double-digit sack season. The first of his career was in his sights. Tough for him. Tough for the Broncos' pass rush as well because uh, he's he's been the most consistent interior rusher they've had all year. He leads the team in sacks. Yes. Your second guy, Von Miller, did not play this past week. Now, he's expected to play this coming week. But, Mace, you're without... Uh, Derek Wolf, Bradley Chubb, you may be without Von Miller. I mean, and look what Vic's defense is still doing. That it's it's pretty incredible. And if if this defense still continues to play well and you know, only giving up 20 points per game, 17 points per game, without all of these guys, it's gonna speak volumes to Vic. It resembles his Bears teams. The first two seasons he was on the job there as defensive coordinator. For example, back in 2015, Chicago had a top 10 defense in terms of total yardage. But they had some moments where it looked rough. Gave up 48 to Arizona. Gave up 38 uh, on the road at Minnesota. 37 on the road to Detroit. So that's sort of where they were then. And it's where the Broncos are now. It's a good defense, but because of personnel issues, in this case because of injuries and also you know, you some of the backups, as we're seeing with Isaac Adam and Devontae Harris for a while at cornerback, uh, they shouldn't be playing every down. That's not where they stand right now in their careers. So you know, some of the backups aren't quite there. Some, some, of, the person, some of the first teamers, you're kind of uh, making do what you've got. You had to kind of figure out nose tackle on the fly a little bit, eventually getting Mike Purcell in there. So it's reflective of the fact that it's probably another draft away and the injuries. So what they've done this year, it reminds me of what Chicago did in 2015 when Vic did not have the personnel to execute his scheme, and it was still a pretty good defense that uh, at times that year shut down some good offenses, including down to the Broncos. It's very true, Mace. So 
We know Derek's done for this season in 12 games, seven sacks, like you said, those coming in the last six games on pace to to really flirt with his first 10 sack season. Of course, his career high was six sacks and he had seven through 12 games. His career high was as a rookie, by the way. Yeah. Think about that. So literally it's his best sack total since 2012. Seems ages ago. So Mace, my question to you is should the Broncos sign Derek Wolf past this year or should they say you're going to have a career year your first year and your last year as a Bronco? Well, I'm going to cite something that I looked up just to confirm in my piece on our top 50 of the 2010s on DMVR because Derek Wolf checks in at number 39. Solid spot for him. Yep. But I went through his litany of injuries over the years, and he's had a bruised spinal cord, a seizure that was a result in part of that bruised spinal cord, multiple other neck injuries, a hairline fracture in his elbow, sprained ankle, and now the dislocated left elbow. He's only played all 16 games in a season three times, most recently last year. So... With Derek Wolf, you're evaluating him. You have to evaluate the injury history, the accumulation of wear, but you also have to factor in A, of all the players we're talking about for the Broncos being free agents in 2020, this is the one most likely to give you a hometown discount. He's coming off a season in which he showed that he's a perfect fit for Vic Fangio's scheme. I'm trying to re-sign him. I like the way he fits in as a starting defensive end in this unit, the way he's flourished in a pass rush role in a sub package. He hasn't been this effective since Malik Jackson was working next to him. I know there are some that are going to look at the injury history and say, no, no more players with injury histories. But then again, last night I was sitting there watching the Texan... I was sitting there watching the Seahawks game, but I was thinking about the Texans the night before. My wife and I were talking about J.J. Watt, and J.J. Watt is likely going to be on the market because there's no more guaranteed money left on his deal. Ooh. And my wife said, "If would the Broncos bring in J.J. Watt? And I said, well, you remember that Bill Kolar, the defensive line coach, was J.J. Watt's first position coach. And J.J. Mm-hmm. Watt has an injury history a mile long, but would you take J.J. Watt? Without a doubt. Okay. <laughs> Derek Wolf has an injury history that is a mile long too, but he's played through a lot of that. Mm -hmm. So I'm resigning him. If I know he can fit in my scheme and I know with Wolf, he's willing to take a hometown discount. I'm trying to bring him back on a two year deal. Two years, say 12 million. It's a little bit of a pay cut. 12 million total. Oh, you think he'd get more? Oh, the injury, the injury history. I'm, I'm trying to get him at 12 over two. I mean, I would do that as well. That's a perfect contract for the Broncos, but Mace, that tells me it's too good to be true. Probably. Again, Six. you're going you're going hometown discount. If the price for Derek Wolf spikes to ten million a year, mm, I'm gonna get a little hesitant. That's what I think it's going to be. I think he's going to want a contract similar to what he had because he took the hometown discount last time and he's going to want to make up for that. Now, Mace, I do agree with you. But what if you give every last nickel as a guarantee? Like maybe a team would offer him 20 million over two, but say 
10 million guaranteed. What if the Broncos come and say, we're going to give you 12 million over two years, but we're going to guarantee every last cent and build in some more incentives. I think they'll say, make it 20 million over two. And Mace, this is but I, the, the, the comparison I gave you is that he gets more guaranteed from the Broncos than he would from somebody else. The guarantee is what's all about. I'm starting to sound like Tommy or big Tom Callahan in Tommy boy. <laughs> the guarantee fairy. The guarantee is what it's all about. That's where I think the Broncos can make a deal here with Derek Wolf by simply saying, okay, the others might offer you a bigger ceiling, but we're going to give you more guaranteed. So if you have further injuries, you're protected. You're set. You know what you're getting. And I think he's going to say, look around the league right now. And if you give me $6 million per season, that's going to make me the... 56th highest paid defensive lineman in the league. Now he's I, also going to be 30 years old with a long injury history because over the course of his career after this season, because he'll miss the final four games, he will have missed five, four, nine, 11, 14, 18 games over the course of his career. Macy's getting paid a whole season. He's get his, his most recent contract averaged out to $9 million per season. Has he had the injuries? Absolutely. Is he going to give the Broncos a discount for those injuries? No, because he's going to say, look what I was doing until this freak injury happened. I'm, I'm saying this is how he's going to propose it. And he's it's going to say... elbow injury, though. Yep, yep. Second elbow injury in the last four seasons. But he's going to say, I was on pace for 10 sacks. And Mace, I'm not going to lie. Right before I, I came over here, I looked up how old he was. I couldn't believe he was 29 years old. I thought I thought I was going to be talking about a 32-year-old Derek Wolf entering next season. He's going to say, yeah, "I'm a young 30." Look, look at these guys. Except for running backs, everyone can play into their 30s. I the more I think about this, the more I I think maybe there's there's actually it's not going to be as easy because when I think about this, would I resign him for the for the money that I think he's going to want? Personally, I wouldn't. But then even when I think about that, I say it's John Elway. John Elway loves Derek Wolf. Vic Fangio wants to keep Derek Wolf around uh, if possible. I don't think Vic Fangio is as sold on Derek Wolf as Derek Wolf is as sold on this defense. But I don't know if if they're going to be able to bridge that gap because Mace, even at ten million dollars, Malik Jackson is making ten million dollars, and he's not doing bumkiss this year. He was also a more productive pass rusher in the years before he got that contract than Derek right. Wolf was. Exactly. Now Derek Wolf is is showing that he's more productive right now, and that would still only make him the 32nd highest paid defensive lineman. Now, do I think Derek Wolf's going to go out and get $20 million? Absolutely not. But I think the Broncos are going to be saying what you're saying, two years, $12 million. And I think Derek Wolf is going to be saying four years, $44 million. <laughs> And I, I think it's... And that's where I say... I hope Draymond Jones plays well the last four games because at $44 million over four years, I like you, Derek Wolf. Go get it. So that's a good question, though, is it's not— And, I, and I've advocated re-signing him, but re-signing him at a reasonable price. Right. And if, again, if Draymond Jones comes out here the last four games and shows flashes, and Demarcus Walker has yet another shot, by the way, <laughs> I want to get to the bottom of— why Demarcus Walker fell out of favor. It's it's weird. Because he was productive as a pass rusher. He yeah. was actually, in terms of his overall snaps, his pass rush to snaps production, 
he was the most efficient pass rusher on the team. <laughs> and they started deactivating him. Why? And one of the most efficient pass rushers relative to overall pass rush snap count in the league. Why deactivate him? It's a great question. Because if that really is the case... Was Adam Gotsis really right. outplaying him? Right. Uh, I don't, didn't see that. Adam Gotsis was, was, was solid, but as a pass rusher, certainly not. That's very interesting. And that's something that you also have to consider when you think of Derek Wolf is Adam Gotsis is up, uh, Shelby Harris is up, and Derek Wolf is up. So, yes, if Draymond Jones steps up, if Demarcus Walker steps up, you're still going to need more players because you're either going to need to re-sign all three of the guys that are up, two of them, one of them, or you need to go going to go out and spend money in free agency. You're going to have to do something even if these other guys step up. Yeah. It's going to be a fun, very interesting conversation. But if Draymond Jones can play at a high level the last four games and if Demarcus Walker can pick up where he left off in terms of rushing the passer. Because what if Demarcus Walker has three sacks in the last four games? And that is possible. Yeah, it's very possible. Demarcus Walker could match Derek Wolf for the team sack lead <laughs> among D-linemen. Wouldn't that be something else? Then I think then I think And then John the questions is... would really multiply. Why were you sitting this guy? <laughs> yeah. Look, I know that Demarcus Walker isn't as stout against the run as you want. I get it. But... Being able to rush the passer, and this is the one thing that will probably be the argument for Derek Wolf getting a bigger contract. Rushing the passer from an interior spot, that is a premium job description and a premium skill set. I can live with guys against the run who are meh, but in 2019, where the NFL is right now, the interior pass rush is far more important. That's why... Whenever a team takes a run-stuffing defensive lineman in the first couple of rounds, I shudder a bit. I cringe. You can find those guys on day three. Give me the pass rushers. It was the argument, even though I'd rather have Terry McLaurin because you need vertical speed at receiver. It was the argument for taking Draymond Jones. It was the argument for taking Demarcus Walker, even though then they moved him around. They've never done right by Demarcus Walker. I'm going to sound like a Demarcus Walker stand here, but they have never done right by him from day one since he got here, moving him to another position, telling him to lose weight, telling him to put weight back on. <laughs> Can't blame him for being frustrated. And then he goes out there when he gets in the rotation this season, and all he does is successfully rush the quarterback. Sacks, pressures, again, doing so at a better rate than anybody else on the team. And then they deactivate the guy. Yeah. I don't get it. Do must, not get it at all. Must be something going on. We're going to have to get to the bottom of that in this past month of the season. Because it makes no sense based on what we've seen in the games. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. And Derek Wolf really reminds me of an avalanche ale type of guy. Avalanches can't be stopped going downhill. This season, Derek Wolf has not been stopped by opposing offensive lines. That's why you guys got to check out this delicious beer from Breckenridge Brewery. And boy, is this the time to get your hands on an avalanche ale with the snow moving in, people going up to the mountains to ski. There's no better beer than literally holding a mountain on your beer, the snow-covered mountains, and that's what Avalanche Ale is. It embodies everything Colorado winter. So if you're in Colorado, you, you got to have one. If you're outside of Colorado and you want to be close to your hometown Denver Broncos, well, make sure you grab an Avalanche Ale because you know what? 
It's some damn good beer, just like all the beers at Breckenridge Brewery. And after you enjoy, maybe the next day after you enjoy an Avalanche Ale, make sure you check out The Green Solution, which has 17 Colorado locations and an express checkout to get you in and out as fast as possible. So get on your phone right now. Go to their website, mygreensolution.com. Order your flour, concentrates, edibles, and topicals online and head to the closest green solution for pickup. And use that magical code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. All right, Mace, should we talk to the people? Let's talk to the people. The people have talked to us. we got a lot of comments today. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, okay. It, I was going to let you ask take the first one because it's a shout-out to you. Oh! From True Champ Fan 24 So you guys started. First one coming in, like you said, Mace, from True Champ Fan 24 R. Guy, he says, oh my gosh, there's so many comments today. He says, happy Drew freaking Sember. Zach, quick shout out to you. Tyler and I really appreciate the support. What a game. After the first quarter, I was certain we were about to drop 35 on the bolts, but then our OC started playing prevent win, and I lost my mind, only to be made worse when I flipped the channel in the third to see how my Utah Jazz were doing against the reigning champs. Down 76 to 40 at half. At least we got that dub. Of course, True Champ Fam, I'm always here to support you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know what? Until this team shows that it can score at least 25 points, I'm never going to be convinced they're going to do it. So <laughs> when they got up 14 nothing, I'm I'm hoping against hope that they'll keep their foot on the accelerator. But deep in my gut, I knew it was like that rumbling after a bad meal, that rumbling <laughs> in your stomach that... It's not going to work out. And lo and behold, they only got to 23. Actually, when the Chargers tied it before the pass interference call, I had a tweet ready to go that said, well, here's a great chance for the Broncos to snap this streak because they get an extra 10 minutes <laughs> to get six more points. Yep. They, with a touchdown, they could win the game and snap the streak. Yep. But of course, then Casey Hayward had the P.I. It Mace, anytime the Broncos get 17 points on the board in the first half or 14 on the board in the first half, I think to myself, this is great. They're going to find some way not to get 25. And it's happened every single week. Here's the problem. They're operating from an outdated template. I remember hearing this from Broncos defenders back in 2015 and even hearing it from Bucks defenders back in the early 2000s and late 1990s when they had an elite defense with two Hall of Famers and another who should be in John Lynch. Those guys all said, you give us 17 points, we'll get you the dub. When you've got an all-time defense, you can say that. This is a good defense, but as we mentioned, it's got some holes. It's not an all-time defense. So you get to 17, you can't put up the stop sign. You got to keep going. I totally agree. Next one from Broncology. I'm Broncology. Looking, oh, Broncology. I'm looking forward to Drew Sember in Locktober next year. And as AF Bronco says right after that, don't forget Locktember too. <laughs> Hopefully Drew Uary and a playoff <laughs> run to boot next season. I like that. Bronco born, Bronco bred. Holy crap, what a fun game to watch. 
outside of the conservative play calling that held back Drew. It's been a while since I've been this excited about the QB position for the Broncos. I can't tell y'all how excited I am now to see my first ever Bronco game next week in Houston. What a change from a few weeks ago when I was worried I'd have to watch Flacco or Allen. I will now start my pounding of the table for the Broncos to draft CeeDee Lamb in the first round next year. Let's make this offense super dynamic with young, cheap playmakers on offense and then have vets on defense. Once the contracts are up on defense, we'll get to pay the offense and flip back and forth between the two. Not only do I think CD is baby DeAndre Hopkins, he would also be a perfect complement to Cortland, Fant, and Phil. Now, the big caveat to this is that we need a different offense to play the strengths of these players, not hold them back like this current one. What are y'all's thoughts on this? And also, do you think Skangs is capable of tailoring the offense, or should Denver look elsewhere? I, I Look, I love the idea of getting a playmaking receiver, but there is depth at the receiver position in this draft. If you figured out quarterback, great, but you probably have to go offensive line or cornerback early. I don't think you have the luxury of going wide receiver when you can find those guys later on in the draft. It's great that Drew wasn't sacked in his first career start, but I can't overlook the first 11 games of the season and what happened. Either it's interior offensive line, uh, if those top tackles are gone, or you take the next best tackle if you still think he's really good. Mace, I agree with you. You you gotta help the offensive line. You gotta help the young quarterback. Don't Andrew luck him. Yeah. And as for the uh, different offense, look, um, I know that we've had a lot of discussions about how much John Elway likes this scheme, favors this scheme. But if they move on from Gangarello, don't be surprised if the offense goes in a different direction. With a Vic Fangio guy, right? Or just a coordinator who will do some things that Fangio has seen succeed in his previous stops. And here, here's what I'll more say as RPOs, well. More RPOs, more shotgun. These are things that Fangio has been a part of on previous teams, especially in Chicago and San Francisco. And experienced. I think you'll get a guy with a lot of experience so, on the offensive side of the ball so at, that at Vic minimum, can truly say. At minimum, high-level college play calling. With all respect to Rich Gangarello, not Northern Arizona, Wagner, Millsaps. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Broncology, did I get that right, Mace? Yes, you did. Says, I mentioned this in another article, but in Drew, I see Tebow's intangibles and Cutler's arm excited for the future. I don't see Jay Cutler's arm. Jay Cutler has a special arm in terms of arm talent. What do you see? Jay Cutler's a 100 on the arm scale. What's Drew? I see him. I see Carson Wentz's arm. It's so totally fine. That's, good enough. What's that, a 90? Yeah. 85, 90? Sure, you'll That's take that. And, the, the, and where it shows up is on the outs. Right. How much zip he gets on those out passes. Watch the third down pass to Jeff Hireman, how much hot sauce he puts on that. <laughs> how much sizzle? There. As for the intangibles on Tebow, okay, Tebow got everybody going, and there was an energy there. I think Drew Locke has a different kind of set of intangibles. One thing about Tebow that I will say that did rankle some in the locker room was this. The whole notion of how hard he worked and how, oh, Tim Tebow works harder than anybody. And I remember that year, there were a few guys who kind of off to the side would say, what, we don't work hard? And it, and I remember covering the team that year and, the one, th one thing I tried to stay away from was the whole notion that Tim Tebow works harder than anybody else because he works hard, yeah, but 
Champ Bailey, Chris Harris Jr., Brian Dawkins. Name your guy on the defense. Name your offensive lineman. They, they had Orlando Franklin starting a four-year run there, and they had Ryan Clady. Those guys worked just as hard mm-hmm. as he did. It's true. It's true. And I love Drew Locke's intangibles. Love him. But come on, no one's got divine intervention like Tebow. Oh, my God. <laughs> Missouri Bronco. I know Cronky owns the Rams, but he also owns half of Denver with the Nuggets, Avs, and Rapids. Do you think he is seeing an opening with our situation, or will he be content with the Rams? Do you think we will be bought by someone already associated with the league or an outsider, this assuming the trust falls through? cronky uh, has got so much invested in the Rams right now because it's not just the team. It's the development of everything in Englewood. It's as much a real estate project for him as a football project. I don't want to see Stan Kroenke owning the Broncos either. It'd be a terrible but, business move for him too. Right. And the other thing with the Nuggets, Avs, and Rapids, okay, the Avs are doing well. The Nuggets are doing well. The Rapids are perpetually irrelevant aside from the title they won nine years ago. I don't think you want Stan Kroenke owning your team. And I'll also say this for Stan Kroenke and his organization. Remember, there's still a lawsuit progressing through the courts in Missouri that has been filed by the city of St. Louis at Kroenke and the Rams organization and the NFL. They out and out lied on many things to the people of St. Louis. I don't have a high opinion of Kroenke as a result. Yeah, I don't I don't think many people would want him to buy the Broncos, but you're not going to have to worry about it. That's not going to happen. He's going to stay with the Rams in the investment that he has. Yeah, uh, again, if the Broncos are sold, a group that I would look out for is the group that couldn't get the Panthers, but the one that... Peyton Manning was involved with. It's by a, a, a business executive worth multiple billions of dollars named Ben Navarro, who's based out of Charleston, South Carolina. So the league's already vetted him. They, it's not that they didn't like him and, and Peyton Manning and the offer they made for the Panthers, but they wanted Jerry Richardson gone as quickly and quietly as possible, so they wanted the cash offer rather than the offer that had some loans involved with it. And you get Peyton Manning in that package. That is one that... <laughs> I would keep my eyes on if the team is ever sold. Yep. Next one coming in from the real links. I think what we mean by building on Locke's performance on Sunday is we want to see him play consistently at this level. Look like he did against the Chargers. I don't need to see him play better, but if he goes out there and stays consistent and wins a couple more games and flashes his potential more, I will be willing to hand him the franchise. That's just me. But hey, love you guys in this community. Go DNVR and we love you back. We love you. We appreciate you. By the way, do you... Put anything into Vic Fangio not giving Drew Locke a game ball. Mace, I'm rolling my eyes. How? How does he not get a game ball? I understand Alexander Johnson played through injuries. Derek Wolf also got a game ball, I believe, uh, for everything he's done. And there was a third. Was it McManus? It was McManus. How How about that, huh? (laughs) Yeah, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? (laughs) But Mace, McManus has got a little F.U. in him, which is one of the reasons I really like him. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's great. But how do you not give the rookie quarterback, who actually played well, too, in his first start, he gets the win. How do you not give him a game ball? I don't know. You think it says says how how, uh, Vic feels about him? Kid, you got to earn it, but... Did Brandon Allen get a game ball? Oh, yeah. 
back for the Browns first game, right? start. Yep. Okay. Yep. There you go. Brandon Allen got a game <laughs> for winning his first start. <laughs> Drew Locke did it. What's going on here? It is. It's bizarre, man. Everything about this has just been bizarre. <laughs> Why? Don't overthink this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. my he- I-, I literally have a headache now because of this. When I was watching that, I was I was just thinking, man, if I'm Drew Locke right now and the first ball game ball is given out, it's not me. I'm like, okay. Second one, third one. And then you're like, okay, there's got to be a fourth. And then he's like, okay. And you're just like, wait. Kind of your stomach, kind of stomach, kind of sinks. Then you're like, what? There was something else interesting that I noticed on the Broncos' official website that night. The lead story, the lead picture, was Vic Fangio for his post game speech. And I looked at that front. I'm like, you just had a quarterback that you drafted that year who started through two touchdown passes was a key part of you winning that game. Someone who is the hope for the future. How are you not leading your freaking site with a picture of Drew Locke? <laughs> with all of these things, they're all little things. But, but part of that is also just to make me think. There are, there are organizational messages involved with right, those exactly. sorts of things. Which is why I looked at that and thought, hmm, I wonder if the memo has gone out to downplay Drew Locke. Yep. Yeah, it certainly feels like that. Yeah, I didn't like that. It is it is so bizarre, mates. Next one coming in from the Manning Face God. Hey, guys, I'm going to state the obvious. Scangrello needs to go. Locke could have easily thrown three touchdowns last Sunday or maybe even more. And what does Scangrello do? The moron designed screen passes and run plays for the rest of the game. This absolutely drove me insane to see this play. is is playing safe BS play calling by Scangarello. Locke showed in his very first start against a division rival facing Joey frickin' Bosa, Melva Ing- Melvin Ingram, and Derwin James that he is the guy, that he is the real deal. Like Mark Wahlberg said in the movie, the other guys... I'm like a peacock. You gotta let me fly. Scangrello needs peacocks to let fly, fly for long periods. <laughs> Remember that. So maybe Scangrello's onto something. By the way, Patrick Mahomes' first game stat: 22 of 35 for 284 yards, zero touchdown, one interception against the 2017 bad Denver Broncos defense. Lamar Jackson's first game stats: 13 of 19 for 150, no touchdowns, one pick. Uh, against a crappy Bengals defense, Baker, 17 of 23 for 201 yards, no touchdowns, no picks against the Jets defense. Drew Locke's performance of 18 of t- 18 for 28, 134 yards, two touchdowns, one pick is far better than any of these first performances, especially considering Drew really only played one quarter where he was actually allowed to play. And the Chargers being a division rival who are also... Er, who are also, according to Next Generation Stats, the fourth best overall defense and fourth best overall passing defense. Guys, as you can see, I'm 100% in on Drew Locke hype train, along with many others in Broncos country. This guy is the future. Thanks, guys. People want to believe. I don't blame you. Hope. Hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. No good thing ever dies. As was saying Shawshank Redemption. Everyone wants to be optimistic, and I want to believe too. But they gotta—they've got to let him show what he has. Look, Vic Fangio warned against the fallacy of a false positive or a false negative. You know how you get false positives or false negatives? Not a big enough sample size, and you don't find out the limits of what he can do. 
Right. You have to test him. You have to let him run as much of the offense as possible. And you can't park the bus after one quarter when you get a lead. You've got to see what he does from there. And if he fails because you ask him to do too much, well, then you know that he can't do that much. And then you say, is this a guy we want to move forward with or not? It's it's a really good point, Mace. Bronco, and it, yeah, that, so. that's, just, that's just one more little thing that makes me think, oh, boy, the entire organization doesn't believe in him. Yeah, Bronco Nugs. Guys, I feel like we need to give Drew and Scangarello some time to work together and see what works. This is the first year for both guys and the first game for both. It's like the defense. It took Vic a few games to figure out what works and what doesn't. Am I wrong? If so, please tell me where he's making mistakes that look long-term. I think with Scangarello, you're also evaluating based on the Joe Flacco games, the Brennan Allen games. You're evaluating based on the trend with all three quarterbacks of getting a lead and then just going into a shell in the second half. You're reacting to a pattern of, frankly, frightened tactics once you get a lead. Yeah, it's... Fear of blowing the lead rather than continuing to attack. You know, when you've got an opponent on the run, you keep them running. You don't let them off the hook. Yep. Yep. And so and I think Scangarello actually is a better quarterback coach. Like, the ideal scenario for me would be to find a way to keep him as the quarterback's coach, but not as the O.C., yeah, that'd be huge, but, but that it doesn't work that way. Yeah, dream on. Yeah, I, and I haven't. Yeah, I haven't been impressed with Scangarello as far as his feel. Again, his script, his play design, what he does Monday through Saturday, I think he's doing well on that. But there's something missing in how he manages a game on Sundays. Well, and it's kind of what Hacksack says. He says we've seen we've seen what Skeens can do in the Minnesota game. How can he scheme so good, albeit for only two quarters, then scheme like he has done so? Yadam is trash. Uh, Hamo, Hamilton, Deshaun ha- Hamilton, oh, Hamilton, Hamo needs to sit down so downtown Fred Brown can stand up. We need Jano. Locke is exciting. Well, I'm thinking if Hamilton sits down. It's you think Fred Brown, but I'm also thinking get Jawan Winfrey some reps. Without a doubt, get him on the field. Without a doubt, <laughs> yeah. I feel bad for Deshaun Hamilton because again he's I do too. He's a good blocker, works hard, but it's just it's in his head. Yep. And Vic said that that exact thing. Vic mm-hmm. said he needs to not let it get to his head. Yep, and it seems like it is. Rob, everyone is excited about Drew Locke right now, but can we talk about kickers for a second? <laughs> Absolutely. I love talking kickers. Brandon McManus was amped to try a 65-yard field goal attempt at the end of the first half, and he was pretty upset he didn't get to try. McManus has done a lot of good for the Broncos over the years, and the man deserved the shot as 65-yarder. I think his career long is 55, so it's hard to say if he makes it from 6 to 65 but it's got to be more entertaining to see McManus go for a new record than watching a play that has no chance to put points on the board. I like Fangio as a coach overall, but I think he did a disservice to McManus here. Give the guy a shot. Now, one thing that the Broncos may have been thinking about is the idea that you could have seen the Chargers return a missed field goal that was short. Desmond King already has a touchdown for a punt return against the Broncos this year. Yep. Okay, fine. But why not a Hail Mary? There were three options there, Zach. The long kick, the Hail Mary, or the fantasy stat padding pass that had no chance of success. I go for the one that can get me points. Exactly. Two plays can get you on the board in those seconds before halftime. One can't. And they chose the one that couldn't. Exactly. I don't like it. 
it's protective, it's low risk, blah, blah. But there's no risk to the Hail Mary. That's the thing. Right. No risk. Yep, I, I totally agree, Mace. I totally agree. And before we move on, I want you guys to join our fam. I want you to join Mace, myself, Ryan on a daily basis and join the entire DNVR fam. And uh, we want you to become a family member with us. And if you do, you get a free shirt of your choice. Uh, uh, it's the most comfortable shirt you'll ever have. You also get to uh, join our family, exclusive rights to comment on this podcast, and you get the coverage of every single one of our teams. And in rea- in, in, the biggest one, you get to support Mace, Ryan, and I. You get to support, support locally owned, owned journalism. So make sure you join us. Go to thednvr.com and support us. We'd love to have you roll with us. And also, I need to tell you about Piper Electric, which has been serving the Denver metro area since 1983. Through a commitment to customer service and team performance, Piper Electric is the hometown electrical contractor that you can trust. If you call 303-646-6765, they will give you the DNVR hookup and save you 20% off your next service call. No job is too big or too small for Piper Electric. They work with the top professionalism and integrity in the biz, whether it's residential, commercial, or industrial work. Don't forget, you have to call 303-646-6765 to receive 20% off your next service call. Just make sure you tell them that DNVR sent you. All right, Mace, what do we have next? Let's get back into the questions here. This one from Mile High Kansan. Guys, Please tell me why Yadam got the start over Devontae Harris. Yadam is painful to watch. I know Harris has had growing pains, but man, he's made way more plays than Yadam has. Simply, Devontae Harris had a bad practice last Wednesday, and they've liked what they've seen from Isaac Yadam in practices. Yadam, I didn't think he was that bad Sunday. When Mike Williams had that catch, that was just, oh my gosh. It was insane. It reminded me kind of of some of the plays that Keenan Allen made on Kayvon Webster when these teams met in 2013. Mm. Kayvon got forced out there, more work than he'd ever had to that point, and he struggled in terms of the fact that Keen Allen was making catches against him, but his coverage was tight on almost all of those. And at some point, you just have to tip the cap and say, wow, pretty good receiver, beat your young and less experienced corner, made a play, move on to the next one. I think Yadam will get the, the shot this game as well, but... Don't forget with Yadam, this is probably his last real shot here to be an every-down cornerback. If he struggles, as he did earlier this season, they will not hesitate to go back to Devontae Harris, and then Isaac Yadam is probably on the fringe battling just to make the roster in 2020. Exactly. Next one from Dexter. He says, we continue to say this game does not fit Drew Locke's abilities. My question is, what scheme best utilizes Drew's abilities, and who is the offensive coordinator needed to attain this? Interesting. Um, I've been doing a little bit of thinking about this, and I kind of like what Tennessee has done since they put Ryan Tannehill in there. You been watching any of them? Yep. Okay. Now, what's interesting with Tennessee, they'll do some stuff uh, under center. They're actually there. Shotgun percentage, according to sharpfootballstats.com, is the same as the Broncos. But a little more dynamic in terms of what they let Ryan Tannehill do with his feet. I think there's I think there's some promise in what they do. I'd take a look at that. Um, I'd take a look even though the Jaguars don't have a good record. 
look at some of what the Jaguars did with Gardner Minshew, and Drew Locke has more arm talent than Gardner Minshew does. Yep, he definitely does. But Minshew is able to discombobulate the defense with his legs a little bit, and you've got the power running. Now, the only thing with that is the Broncos don't have a power runner like Leonard Fournette, and we saw how he could kind of wear down the Broncos' D back in Week 4 when the Jaguars came in. Right, Mace, we've talked about Carson Wentz. And Doug Peterson, why are you not getting Doug Peterson? What about Press Taylor, the quarterback's coach for the Eagles? Now, this is never going to happen because he's 31 years old, and I don't believe the Broncos are going to go extra young if they move on from Scangarello. That'd be interesting. Might be interesting. But I think after this go-round, if they move on from Scangarello, you mentioned it, this is probably a more experienced hire. Yep. Again, whether it's high-level college or... The NFL, somebody who has successfully called plays before. And I mean, I got to emphasize successfully here because you take Zach Taylor, the head coach in Cincinnati, for example, his play calling stints, both at the University of Cincinnati and briefly for the Miami Dolphins, weren't great. Right. So he's had the right kind of training that that the teams want to see, of course, working under Sean McVay. If you're, hey, if you ever work with Sean McVay or you're connected with Sean McVay, you're gold right now. Yep. But uh, there are some there are some issues with going with somebody who doesn't have high-level play-calling experience. I think the Broncos are learning about that with Rich Gangrello <laughs> yep. having never called plays at a level higher than Northern Arizona in the Big Sky. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Next one from Hey Duke, Abitas. Abides. Abides? Oh. Like in Yes, of course. The Big Lebowski, the dude abides. Yep. <laughs> yep. Guys. Abitas? <laughs> I don't like know. Like the shoe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I have you, Mace. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to go against the grain a bit here and say we need to slow our roll on the Skangrello hate train a bit. Don't get me wrong. I was as frustrated as anyone watching the Broncos nearly snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, yet again by trying to ride a lead for three quarters. But I'm not 100% convinced we are being fair to Rich here. After all, play calling is the offensive coordinator's purview. But overall, strategy management of the game is squarely on the head coach. When I see an offense completely change gears like the Broncos have tended to do if they get up by a couple touchdowns, my assumption is that the head coach has given the order to chew clock. Is it possible that what we saw in the first half of the Vikings game in the first quarter of Sunday was actually Scangrello unchained? Fangio has shown he has the guts to go for the kill at the end of the games, but I have I have to wonder if he is not the architect of the old-school, boring, grind-the-clock approach to play with even a moderate lead. Thoughts? Well, what's interesting there is if you believe there's something to the Jason Locke and Four reports that had the coach questioning some of the play calls, then wouldn't that lend itself to saying that the coach actually wanted to be more aggressive? Yep. Yep. At times. Yeah. The other thing to consider here with Rich Gangarello is, again, to go back to the script, sometimes with coaches who are versed in the West Coast scheme and emphasize that 15-play script, there's a drop-off. Look, there were times for Mike Shanahan when he was here, especially after John Elway when he got into the Brian Greasy, Jake Plummer, Jay Cutler eras, where the offense was terrific at the start of every game. That script was on point. After that, kind of lost their way a little bit. Did better. I think the thing with Scangrello that concerns me is this. Some of the issues 
in the course of the last three quarters of games have focused on being aggressive when you should be cautious or vice versa. He hasn't displayed a great feel for situational football, what to do when you're up, what to do uh, when you see when you see the defense kind of on its heels a little bit, or when to attack. And sometimes that feel, you either have it or you don't. And I worry that he doesn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll Sorry. F- we'll find out more in the next four games, we won't will. we? Next one coming in from Big Al 80. Hey guys, it's been a while since I commented. You guys are great. I'm so glad Drew is playing and I'm pumped about what I saw from him. I'm just sitting here watching the Monday Night Football game, and I like how Seattle has the green on top and blue on bottom. Any chance the Broncos could ever do orange tops and blue bottoms? I personally do it on Madden all the time, and I love it. Haha. What do you guys think? Mace, I know you're an expert on uniforms, but also just wanted to say thanks for the articles and audio. Helps me out a lot. Anyways, thank you all for you guys for what you guys do. Go Broncos. Orange tops, blue bottoms. That's interesting. I would personally prefer blue tops and orange bottoms if you're doing the orange on blue there's something about like the seattle look they had the 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 electric green highlighter green on blue last night and i kind of like the jersey to be darker than the pants does that make any sense sure maybe that's just kind of my years of watching nfl it's where my old fuddy-duddy thing but I think blue over orange looks better than orange over blue. That said, this may be an off-season thing, especially because we've got some great graphic people here. I would love to kind of do something that's kind of my uniform proposal for the Broncos. Mm. And a lot of it is based off of the Color Rush look, but taking what they do in Color Rush and expanding it to have options in white, options in blue, and then you can do the mix and match. Match say... Hey, we're going to wear orange over blue today. What is interesting, Zach, is while the NFL has strict rules on jerseys because they sell those, they're much more lax on pants hmm. in terms of what you can do to mix mix and match them because they're not selling pants. So, <laughs> for example, funny. Carolina whips out the black pants from time to time now. They simply decided midseason of 2012, hey, we're going to wear the black pants. The black pants actually made their debut Against the Broncos. How about that? Yeah. So And pants. And it's all completely interchangeable. Mm. So you can have a bunch of different looks. Mm. Mace, my only concern with doing the, the orange and blue or the blue and orange, have you want to do it, is that you look like the Cleveland Browns when they were here, when they went with the brown and the orange, and that was so No, they bad. went brown on brown. Oh, it was bad. That was terrible. They looked like turds running around the field. <laughs> yes, they did. They did. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fargo Bronco 95. Hey, guys. Hello from the frozen tundra of Fargo, North Dakota. First ever comment here. I felt it was a good time with Mace shouting out my city last week. Hey. Nice. Thank you. I've been listening since the offseason and recently became a subscriber. I've been a diehard Broncos and Nuggets fan ever since I was a kid growing up in Colorado. It may, be, it may be Vikings land up here, but there are a lot of Broncos supporters around here too. No question for you guys. Just wanted to say hello, and thanks for all the great Broncos and Nuggets coverage. Really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for saying hi, Fargo, Fargo. Bronco. Appreciate that. Next one coming in from Bronco Duckin, guys. We're kind of on a, a, a speed question round right here, so 
Don't uh, d- don't be upset when we fly through these. I get the frustration with Scangarello, but you can't call for the man's job yet, right? He's growing into the position as well. Hopefully, he adjusts to play calling to Locke, and Locke gives him some feedback on a few of the plays and situations that he saw on the field. I'd be concerned about changing the offense yet again with a new guy. Really hopes Gangrella opens it up a little more in the final part of the season. I'd really like to see he and Locke develop chemistry. I think there's hope for Scangarello. The next few games will tell us a lot. For the first time in a while, I felt hope for the quarterback position. It's a good feeling to have again. Do you think Scangarello was frustrated with Locke changing the play on the Sutton touchdown? How would the play? How would that play out in the quarterback room after the game? I don't think Scangarello had an issue with that because the play design involved for the potential of a change, as we learned on Monday, to be able to look and tell Cortland Sutton, hey, it's going to be a fade there. So he yep. had that ability to make that change in the huddle, had that authority to do so. I know there are concerns about changing the offense again, but at the same time, if Drew Locke shows you enough that he's the guy, you have to go all in with him, and that means an offense tailored to his skill set. And in watching him go from under center, roll out, there were footwork issues. The pass to Hireman, for example, in the right flat where he airmails him, because he's executing the play fake fake boot, his footwork just isn't right. He ends up throwing off his back foot, and it's an off-balance throw. When if you, let's say you're instead of a play fake boot, you're doing a play fake out of the shotgun to, say, Philip Lindsay, and he's coming left and across, and then Drew Locke kind of moves laterally without that initial drop back, just moves laterally and then sees Hireman. I think he has a better chance to get his feet set to make the throw. It's something that you saw at Mizzou from time to time, especially in his first three years. You're up, Mace. I am up. <laughs> because it's our friend, the Count. Count Locula. Let's assume Locke is the guy for the moment. Who are your lifeboat boys now? Who do you let sink into the icy waters of free agency? Who do you draft if we end up between 15 and 20 on the board? Whoa, 15 and 20. <laughs> so the count is being optimistic. He certainly is, with Locke being the guy. Exactly. That means the count sees the Broncos at 7 and 9 or better. Yep. If they're picking 15 to 20. Yep. Um, Who am I picking? I'm picking an, an offensive lineman. Yeah, but then what's interesting, at 15 to 20, if they pick there, you're probably not talking tackle. Potentially. Maybe you have to go Anthony Costanzo to upgrade tackle. This is also at 1520 now. You're in Tyler Biotish territory. You are. Find your center for the next 10 years. Let him work That's it through. My, right. Biotish at center, McGovern right guard, Reisner left guard. Yep. That's what I would do. At 15 to 20, Biotish is my guy. I like that. I like that as well. Um, next one from Iceman. Hey, boys. Early prediction would say Texans 24, Broncos 17. Since I believe Houston had replaced the Superchargers as the most overrated team in the NFL, my prediction will be Broncos 27, Texans 24. Assuming Vaughn does not play. Does not play. Wow. Go Broncos, Locke, and DNVR. That's optimistic. One thing I want to get into in my research over the course of the week is... What have teams done after beating the Patriots? Huh, I like that. Is there a little bit of a letdown after that? Uh, another thing with Houston so far this year, they have four losses. At New Orleans, Carolina at home, at Indianapolis, and then at Baltimore. 
that's as good a collection of losses as you can have. I mean, probably the one they that they scratched their heads about above all is the Carolina game. Right. Indianapolis on the road. You know, the Colts kind of had their number at that point, but the Texans they were able to turn that back with that Thursday night win a couple weeks ago. Houston, I think, is starting to peak now. I think the Broncos have a slim shot, but this is probably going to be a rough game for them. I salute your optimism, Iceman. I don't see the Broncos winning this game. Yeah, I mean, they're 10-point underdogs, so not a lot of people do. Exactly. Uh, Brian, to at Swedish Bronco, regards to a comment yesterday. Relax, bro. No such thing as clean money in today's world without sounding ignorant. Let's keep this out of our football lives. Who do you want to run the Broncos? Gandhi? I'm not sure you want Gandhi running any football team. I'm, I'm not certain that the idea of passive resistance really works <laughs> on defense. <laughs> Next one from AF Broncos. Hey, guys. New subscriber. Hashtag, we got her. After the amazing Black Friday deal, but a longtime listener and former member under your military program. Thanks for that, by the way. Thank, thank you for, for your service. service. Absolutely. Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> I was so sad to see Wolf go down, especially after such a strong game otherwise. One. Do you think the injury will change his value as he hits the market next season? And two, what are your odds that, the, that he stays a Bronco next year? Thanks for the great content every day. And Zach, the bow tie was very cool on Sunday. Very nerd fashion forward. Hey, yeah. thank you, AF Broncos. Love the bow tie. I'm going to take it to another level down in Houston. Oh, I love week. it. Because it's going to be warm down there. It's going to be in the 70s. Zach, I have two Hawaiian holiday shirts <laughs> i'm going to wear one on saturday and i'm going to wear one on sunday <laughs> i love it i love it perfect game day attire <laughs> exactly so i'm gonna look pretty loud and ridiculous but that's okay <laughs> craig l i was doing some math with my eight-year-old son over the weekend from a puzzle book he had to work through a maze and app numbers you passed 25 plus 25 plus 25 to my delight i leaned back slammed my hand down and exclaimed 75! <laughs> <laughs> and the best part is that comment had the ellipsis for us to fill in the 75. The next two comments, 75 and 75. Uh, 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 you're not going to give us two other ones? <laughs> sure, what the heck? 75! 75! Uh, 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 there we go. Sorry that my daughter isn't here to uh, share that with you guys. Mace, you're giving the people what they want. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Crazy Maniac. Hey, gents. Been a while since I commented, but I thought I would let you know that with Drew's first win, there is not only a buzz in the air surrounding Broncos country, but there's also a buzz here in Kansas City, Missouri. My friends who are Chiefs fans genuinely want to see Locke succeed. He is from Lee's Summit around here, and there is a slight pride from the natives to see their hometown son get a dub in the NFL. I can only hope the hometown son can get a dub on his hometown team a couple of weeks from now, which I might attend. Ticket price is pending. Love the pod, Skyler. Thanks for chiming in, yeah, Skyler. Appreciate you, Skyler. One thing on the ticket price is out here in Denver, you know, there are some relatively cheap buy-ins for the rest of the season, especially after over 19,000 no-shows last Sunday for the start of Drew Sember. Kansas City, a little bit of a different matter entirely right there <laughs> yeah. for the playoff for the playoffs they're battling. But uh, hopefully you can get in there and get a chance to watch. So from 2012 to 15, I thought me. Wow. I was always a fan of his career around. I was never a Cutler guy until he was in Chicago. That was probably because what happened in 26, 2006 when Plummer was stupidly benched for him. I know Plummer was struggling. I just thought the lease should have been much longer before you go to the rookie. The Broncos were 7-4 at the benching. Dumb! 
Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm looking forward <laughs> to future games when all of a sudden we unlock the future. <laughs> I love that. But there's one thing that's interesting, Andrew, and if you listen to this part of the podcast, I hope you'll respond to this because Peyton Manning was a Bronco for as long as Jake Plummer, four seasons. No, oh, that's a good point. And Peyton wow. played for another team before, just like Jake Plummer did because Jake was an Arizona Cardinal for the first six years of his career. So I guess what I look at this and say, okay, why is kind of the feel different that Plummer's sort of a real Bronco, but you just rented Peyton Manning? It's a really, really good question, Mace. That's anyway, a good point. Maybe it's because Jake Plummer with the Cardinals didn't take anything from the Broncos, but Peyton Manning as a Colt did take some things from the Broncos, particularly two <laughs> right. playoff routes in excruciating fashion next one from wyoming bronco this is the first game in the last two years that has actually given me hope for the future drew lock brought brought the fire that i believe had been missing for some time just a couple quick questions one what is going on with this defense during the fourth quarter charger wide receivers were getting wide open got me a little frustrated at times also the defense has now given up fourth and 19 during the bears game and now fourth and 11 during this game what is going on mace do you have any quick responses some coverage breakdowns. Big and then time. also on the 4th and 11, just a great play by Mike Williams. I, I don't put that Incredible. alongside what happened on 4th and 19. Sometimes with the case of Mike Williams, this was just a player making an amazing athletic play on the ball. You, there's no defense for anything like that. There, there's not, no matter if it was Chris or anyone. As for the team sputtering out after the rhythm during a first quarter, there, I, I'm gonna. I keep coming back to the script, and I think when Rich Gangrello and the offense gets off script, he has to go based on feel for the game, and I think his feel for the situation has been totally wrong. That the feel to me should say keep attacking, keep going, keep going. Yep. You got some momentum. You got him on the run. Keep him on the run. And his feel and instinct appears to be to shut it down and park the bus. In my opinion, you should shut it down and park the bus when you feel comfortable putting your backups in. You're yeah. not comfortable putting your backups in up seven, up 14 after the first quarter. You're not. You're not putting your backups in. NFL coaches are sometimes a risk-averse lot, and they may say, oh, we're up 14 nothing, and we've got a rookie quarterback, or, or we have Brandon Allen, if that were the case, and they can just say, nope, we've got to pull it back. But they did the same with Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco, a veteran quarterback, yep. who you thought was in his prime. <laughs> in week five, you go out to, the, to L.A., you get up early, get 14 points, and then pull it back. Come here, boy. Put that stallion back in the stable. Anyway, Miller Life 58. Hey, fellas, after basking in the hope that Locke is the guy, I saw a video pop up of his parents after the game talking about their excitement and how Drew did. His dad mentioned that he was extremely thankful for the awesome plan the Broncos have had with Drew and sticking to it all along. Is there something that I am missing? Wouldn't the better plan be to play Drew as soon as he was healthy or at least let him practice? Didn't know if you guys knew anything more about it now. Thanks for all the content. First of all, on the plan, the plan certainly got waylaid by his stint on injured reserve by the injured thumb. Yep. So any plan since then is still a contingency plan. If he doesn't hurt his thumb, when do you think Drew Locke gets in there? Earlier? Cleveland game, right? I'd hope. You'd hope that. I'd, I, I don't think they're in the market for Bra- I don't think they're in the market for Brandon Allen if Drew Locke is healthy. I hope. 
Yeah, I, I mean, he, he was on the path to be the backup. Yes. Yeah, let me just say, I don't know if Drew Locke would call the plan, quote, awesome. <laughs> Next one from Bronco Born. But it's Bronco. all working out now, so it's okay. It is, it is. From Bronco Born, Bronco Bread. Mace, I really can't believe how many people were second-guessing you on Twitter when you corrected CBS Sports Tweet. Makes me Makes you think how many fake stats like that were just getting... We're getting daily just for clickbait. I can't believe they haven't taken it down. What? So, so set 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 the scene. Uh, CBS Sports HQ at CBS Sports HQ on Twitter. It's a verified account from CBS Sports Research Department. Drew Locke is the first Broncos rookie quarterback to win his first start since Jay Cutler in 2006. No, Cutler lost his first start <laughs> against the Seahawks Sunday Night Football. Wow! Yeah. How do you get that wrong? I don't know. That's why we have Mace, who literally kills Twitter accounts with facts. I tried to. <laughs> 8-Bit Bronco. Hey, guys. I know we have a lot of talk of getting rid of Scangarello changing the offense, which I can understand and mostly agree with. However, I ask, what can the Broncos do to make this offense work if the Broncos don't change the offense? I'm going with the obvious one and continue to work the O-line. What else could be changed to make this offense work? Beyond the O-line, speed threat at wide receiver. Boom. Big time. What if Cortland Sutton's not your only deep threat? Be lovely. What does that do to the offense? Then are you seeing t- teams are just going to continue to double Cortland more and more and more the rest of the season? You have to, even if he keeps making plays, you have to do things that alleviate that for the future. Ideally, yes, exactly. Next one coming in from oh wow, it's a lo- holy cow DNVR for life. Novella. I was sitting what yes, I was sitting at home waiting for the game to come on, and CBS says we were we will either be able to watch the Chiefs or Broncos game. Well. They turned on the Chiefs game, so I was getting all updates off Twitter, and it was the worst. I was so soaked to see Locke start and play. And, of course, it was the one week it didn't show the Broncos. Then in the third quarter, I left my house to go to dinner early since I couldn't watch the game, and they switched it to the Broncos game 10 minutes after I had left since the Chiefs were blowing out the Raiders. I guess it wasn't meant to be for me to watch Locke in his first game. So I want to thank you guys for doing a live after-game recap and your awesome articles. You're welcome. That's what we're here for you. Also, Mace. If you put your foot on the brake, is that like when you are about to start a drag race and are inching forward with your other foot on the gas and just waiting for that flag to drop? Then it's okay to have your foot on the brake, but you better take it off when Locke drops that flag, which I believe will do sooner than later, and smoke those tires off the start line. And Zach, don't have your foot so much on the gas that your tires spin out and can't get off the start line. I love I love that. Mm-hmm. Quick takes. One, I did love that after his interception, he responded well. Mace, this is something you refer to when evaluating a new quarterback. It's big, yeah, terrific. And just not getting phased by it, going right back out there. Not losing his confidence, but also... To his credit, not forcing it after that interception either. Sometimes at Mizzou, he'd throw an interception, and he'd be like, man, he has a little tin cup mentality. I think I can get that, and then it would lead to another mistake. But he's very resilient in that regard. Yep. Two, the other players respect Drew and what he is trying to do. They have his back. Three, this one's for Pat. Four, Skangrello needs to trust Drew and not let other mistakes in the past made by others affect his play calling. Let Drew make his own mistakes. They aren't mistakes if he learns from them. Five, Hamilton needs to be replaced by Juwan Winfrey. I don't think it will happen, but it needs to happen. Six, Fant is fine. He is learning and trying to get comfortable. I believe he'll be a good tight end for for the following years. Just Seven. make sure that you don't have him in pass protection against an elite edge rusher. That's yes. my caveat on that. Yes. Seven. This one's for John. Eight. CFF. CSF. No, CFS. CFS. <laughs> Cortland 
freaking Sutton. Dude is making plays when it matters most. All I see him do is convert big third downs or big downs and make big plays. He is going to be great. Eight, DNVR hands down provides the absolute best coverage of this team than anyone else. Get off the fence about subscribing and support these beautiful people and the work they are doing. Hey, he wrote that, not me. Thank you so much. You guys are absolutely killing it. I'm so glad two years ago when I was searching for a Broncos podcast that I came across Ryan and Zach. DNVR has some of the most important qualities for a company for it to succeed long term. You guys have created an amazing community or cult for us to come together and go through the ups and downs of this Broncos team the last few years. I think I can speak for most saying thank you for being real with us and going through all through it all and we hope drew is able to change this team and start winning some freaking games and get us back to the super bowl you know what's interesting the or cult in parentheses i laughed at that but here's why we're not a cult because one of the the aspects of a cult one of the characteristics is that you don't question the leaders you don't question what's said but people here join us and they'll say when we're wrong yeah. When you th- we they think we're when you think we're wrong and here's why. Yeah. So, it's a community. It's a community where we all have some different opinions. We all we bring it to the table and we discuss it, hash it out. We bond over our shared enthusiasm for Denver sports. Exactly. So, thanks for riding Thank with us you. DNVR for life. Yes. Pig Tosser 66. Short and sweet today. I'm now thinking that the Jason Lockhart four was at least 75% accurate. <laughs> Fangio's comments about the offensive coaches to me confirms that he tells it like it is. I really am getting the feeling that Scangarello is going to be gone at season's end. And if Locke can win one of the next two road games, that is all I need to see. These are two playoff teams coming up. He would be the guy. Start making plans for building 2020 around him if we can snag a dub. And I'm getting that same feeling as well that there's going to be a change at OC after the season. It's going to be interesting the next four games. He's the one on the hot seat more than anyone else. Right. That's the hot seat right now for the Broncos. That's the one you have to watch. Exactly. Dan Burke, I still believe Rich deserves another year. Okay, the opposite (laughs) side. Sure, the offensive line played well last game, but Rich is still being hamstrung by some of the worst tackle play in the league. Not to mention he has one legitimate receiving option on offense, and the team doesn't have any effective speed option at receiver, something the system has needed in the past to be successful. Taylor Gabriel in Atlanta and Cleveland, Santana Moss when Mike Shanahan was running the show in Washington and Marquise Goodwin in San Francisco. The team tried to acquire John Brown and John Ross, but neither plan materialized. Maybe the offense doesn't look as anemic with one of those guys on the team. Reason why I'm 100% on board with them drafting rugs in the first or Jalen Rieger in the second. That being said, if and when Pat Shermer gets canned from New York, I'd absolutely be interested in him as an offensive coordinator. Anyone who can make Keenum look good is worth taking a look at. Yeah. And you know what? With Jalen Rager, his father's a former Bronco. Monte Rager played four years, 99 mm, through 02. about that? I like him a lot. And honestly, you mentioned second round pick. That's probably the sweet spot. Second to third round, day two, looking at a receiver. And I think Jalen Rager should be on their radar. Get offensive line first, then go that second. Yeah. DJC15, from what I saw Sunday, I'm 1,000% confident Drew is the guy. Unlike a lot of Allen's success in his first game, Drew's success came from his skills and fearlessness, not just good game planning. 
This is what we've been missing since Manning, a QB with the cajones to let it rip and call a shot when he sees something from the D or wants something different. What Drew showed is everything you can teach and improve in everything that you can't. You're just born with it or you aren't. Tlaib once said, we lost all the dogs on the team. Well, now we have one at the most important position in football. As long as Elway and Skangs don't fudge it up, we got our guy. Hope so. Yeah, I hope I hope Drew's a guy. And final one, I think, Mace, for coming in from Carpaccio. Chris, Joe Flacco ran by Drew like I run by a sink full of dishes. That guy is saltier than the Bolivian salt flats. If Joe was salt, he'd be a big, chunky Himalayan salt that you have to grind, not the fine grain salt. As a matter of fact, Joe is saltier than salt. All jokes aside, it kind of bothers me. He just ran past Drew, pretending not to see him. You know damn well you saw him, and Drew was so happy to see you, you salty sum. <laughs> a lot of salt. Of course, the, of the salt, salt flats in Bolivia are the largest in the world. Hmm. So I don't know if even... Over 4,000 square miles. Oof. Did you know that off the top of your head, Mace? No, I looked it oh, up. Oh, I was going to say. Also, I wouldn't put that past you, though. I'm looking this up also. Didn't realize it was so close to 12,000 feet above sea level. Holy cow. That's yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. That is incredible. We'll leave you on that fact. But before we go, you guys know how supporting local business is in our blood. And that's why we're super excited to tell you about Denver Album Company for a second time because that's how excited we are. And of course... It's not what you think it is. Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. Since 1972, Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber to custom contract manufacturing, and custom hoses. And guess what? Snow is coming, and we've already had a taste of it. You'll need Denver Rubber Company when it comes to anything snow plows. DRC can cut to size and pre-slot most snow plow rubber. The blades can be cut to any length and slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications. We went and checked out their warehouse a few weeks back, and let me tell you, it was nothing short of amazing. These guys have created proprietary materials that make up the inside of wind turbine blades, and we even witnessed machines that can cut material that are used in bulletproof vests. Denver Rubber Company custom makes it all, and you can purchase products for yourself and, of course, buy bulk at a fantastic rate. They're a family-owned business with loyalty only to the people, just like us here at DNVR. So be sure to call them today for any snowplow needs, custom gaskets, hoses, etc. at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com dnvr and make sure you tell them who sent you. For Zach Stevens and Andrew Mason, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a terrific Tuesday. Exactly.